Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Goodham, Pastor Brett Bowen, Pastor Adam Osier continue their discussion on Article 22 of the Augsburg Confession, looking at an Old Testament passage and its application. Being Lutheran is sponsored by the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary in Plymouth, Minnesota. Register today for the Summer Institute of Theology, which happens August 1st through the 5th. Classes include training in adult catechesis, congregational leadership, and Christian ethics. Find out more at flbc.edu forward slash s-i-t. Welcome to the Being Lutheran Podcast. I am Pastor Brett Bowe, and I'm joined by... Pastor Jason Goodham and Pastor Adam Osier. We are the three amigos, something like that. Yeah. I knew that would get that response from me. So, all right, well, we're back to... Uh, yeah. It's I okay. don't know what to say to yeah. that. You say, are you the singing bush? Uh, okay, yes. All right, so... Oh, sorry, Brett. That's I'm, okay. No no worries. Um, yeah, we're, we're talking... Uh, we're jumping into our Old Testament episode. Um, as we've been talking about Article 22 of the Augsburg Confession in the last two episodes, and I encourage you to go back and listen to those if you haven't already. And uh, today we're in 1 Samuel 2. Why are we in 1 Samuel 2? Because naturally, 1 Samuel 2 talks about Holy Communion. Okay. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, 1 Samuel 2.36 was a passage that the Roman confutation, which was the right. Roman response to the Augsburg F- Confession, used to cite and establish their practice of only serving uh, the body of Christ, the bread, to the laity. And so uh, they highlight in the Roman confutation that verse 36 predicts only serving bread. That's, I think, the terminology (laughs) they use. So we're going to look at the whole section, figure out what it is about, and then talk about some principles, basic principles of biblical interpretation. You could... I look at, you know, how many times in our notes and different things where we fat finger the reference, you know, so like instead of, <laughs> you know, first Chronicles, you type in first Corinthians yeah. just as a whatever, you yeah. know, and, and you're looking at this and you think, oh, maybe they did that, but then they quote it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, nope, that was the one they meant. No, that's oh, what they intended. That was it, huh? This reference was intended to be that yeah. bad. <laughs> first Corinthians 11, you mean? No, nope, nope. And also, they didn't have typewriters, so you can't really fat finger like <laughs> handwritten script. It's like a, like Monty Python, the Holy Grail, that the, the guy is at the castle of Ark. It doesn't really. Did he die writing it? No, it's just that bad of a reference. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, in that. Instance, uh, <laughs> could you? Read you got scripture? me started on the pop culture references yes, this time. This yes. was your fault. That's right. Okay. Vocation. Vocation. All right, there we go. all right, we're good. We got it all out of our system. Uh, let's read the scripture. First uh, Samuel two verses twenty-seven through thirty-six. I'll read, and you can read along with me in your Bible. I'm reading from the ESV translation. And it says, "There came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord: Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt?" Subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling, and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? Oh, fat guy reference in here. 
Okay. Hey. Now, <laughs> I resemble that comment. Why did, you look, why did you look at both of us and you no. said... <laughs> Keep reading, Brad. Keep, okay, yes. Yes, sir. Uh, verse 30. Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, for those who honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel, and there shall be not an old man in your house forever. Though only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you, to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and shall say, please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. Here ends the reading of God's word. Ugh. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Here, here's the thing. I look at that, you were looking at us, Brett, when you said that as a skinny <laughs> film, fat fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel. Interestingly enough, if anything predicts the future in this passage concerning Holy Communion, yeah. it's them fattening themselves. And I think we're going to talk about that next week on in First Corinthians 11. Yeah. The, you know, yeah, we're all going to get together and we're going to like hoard this and eat it <laughs> ourselves. It's funny because that predicts it, but they didn't go there. That's they exactly went, what I was reacting to when Brett looked at us. I was like, yeah. this is amazing because... Because this passage actually proves the opposite point that they're trying to do. <laughs> uh, because, you know, one of the arguments of the Roman confutation is that the laity should be distinguished from the clergy. And every time that happens in the Old Testament, every time the priests get out of their lane and start grabbing for prestige, the priesthood gets rebuked. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's amazing that they didn't see that, but they pull it. Now, to be sure... Let's get this out of the way before we talk about actually what's going on. Most here. charitable construction. <laughs> I'm going to try. Okay. I'm going to really try. Uh, verse 35 is a prophecy of Christ. Yeah, right. Okay? Uh, it's first of all, it's a prophecy of Samuel. Yep, a faithful priest. A faithful priest, but it's also a prophecy of Christ. And so, uh, verse 36 in a, at least a broader context talks about someone approaching Christ in faith. Right, that's what verse 36 is. Everyone left in your house shall come and pour Christ uh, for things, okay? It's still not talking about communion, but, but at least you can see what they were trying to do in, in circumventing uh, any logical argument for what... So this is a stretch bigger than Stretch Armstrong. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's really out of bounds. Reference. Yeah. yeah, It's really out of bounds for this passage. Yeah. yeah, well, pop culture. We haven't... I mean, this is... We do this about once every four episodes. It's yeah. all right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but verse 35 is talking about Christ. And verse 36 is talking about the benefits we receive from God because of Christ. The, the, if you want to tie an Old Testament or a New Testament verse to what's going on here, uh, you would tie Romans 8. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not fail to give us all things? Or you could look at First Peter two nine, where it talks about the priesthood of all believers. Yep. 
make me one of the priests in your house. You yeah. know, make me, you know, and, and give me, you know, that I may eat a morsel of bread and the blessings that come from being a priest in the house of God. There, there's value there and it's true. It's not predicting or it's not looking forward to communion. Mm-hmm. And, and again, the Lutheran doctrine of the ministry, there is not a distinction between perp- persons. There's a distinction in the office. And so a pastor is not any better or worse of a Christian than a butcher, baker, candlestick maker who happens to be a Christian, but the office is to be respected because it is the office that stands to deliver the gifts of God mm-hmm. to the congregation. Yeah, amen to that. Um, yeah, and I, you know, thinking about the the bread here too, I, I, was, I was reading um, a children's Bible book uh, to my daughter the other day, and uh, there was a picture of the temple with all the, the showbread uh, there and it was or the King a, James the shoe bread shoe bread yeah and it was just it was interesting my daughter kind of picked that out like what you know what's up with the bread and you, so we just talked about you know the priest and and that uh, you know it, not necessarily related to this but um, anyway great I don't know where that was coming from but <laughs> thanks for sharing yeah yeah <laughs> thanks, thanks caller <laughs> oh yeah random generator so I'll throw this out here yeah. What is this passage intended to teach then? We're going to do a Bible study on this passage. Now that we've said what it isn't about, which basically makes us Baptists, now we can talk about what it is about. Oh, how that for a cheap shot? It took a swing there. I I tried hard to not break the Eighth Commandment for so long. I just went directly (laughs) broke it after that. Oh, no. So what is this? Okay, first of all, who's Eli? So Eli was uh, the high priest in Shiloh. Uh, before the time of Samuel, you know, you know, during the close of the time of the judges, before the time of Samuel, which would be before the time of David. Uh, and uh, he is the priest. So what does he do as priest? What's his responsibility? So in the Old Testament, the priest stands and takes the cares of the people to God and takes the messages of God back to the people in worship. And so the priests had an instructing role in a catechizing role in, in the word of God. But really what the priests did is they managed the sacrificial system. Uh, so you had the daily sacrifices and the sacrifices on the feast days. So what are we seeing in this passage about, I'm taking your role, Brett. I'm all of a sudden asking the questions. That's this right. is kind of fun. Yeah, go for it. Well, like maybe Walter you ask Cronkite. Brett a question and we get to hear Brett talk yeah, for a while. So Brett, no, I want to hear know. you talk yeah, about this. So Eli is the priest of God. Serving in Shiloh, he is, you know, representing the people to God and God to the people. What's going wrong in this passage? It doesn't seem to be going well for Eli. What's the story? Hmm. Yeah, and, you know, you see, uh, I think it was um, verse... This is why I don't talk. This is why I should be uh, <laughs> asking. So, Brett, if you ask me that question... See, this is not... Uh, <laughs> What I would say. <laughs> go for it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You can go, Brett. You can go. Do you have do you have something? Do you need me to bail you out you there? You bail me okay. out, yeah. Uh, so part of the problem is the, the priesthood was hereditary. And so you had issues of nepotism uh, in them not disciplining their sons. So Eli's sons happened to be wicked, which is actually not that unordinary because Samuel's sons were wicked <laughs> as well. So it, it, it's not that uncommon of a thing. Uh, the, the issue is there was a prescribed way of eating the meat that was permissible to eat 
from the sacrifice every day. And so there was a portion of the meat and a portion of the grain that was brought as offerings to the temple that were then distributed among the priests and the Levites as part of their compensation. So, yeah. So what they could consume. So what they could consume. And uh, basically, uh, if I understand this right, what was going on is that Hophni and Phineas were turning this into like Vegas for food. Is, is they were keeping all the best portions of the meat themselves by saying whatever you fork you stick into the meat pot, whatever it comes out with, that's your portion. So, well, if if you uh, know anything about communal meals, the, the best portion always goes to the first person going because the meat is full of, you know, the pot is full of meat, right? Yeah. And, and so, like, oh look, the whole roast, that's mine. <laughs> the Holy Spirit let me to take this. You know, it sounds like me at the Golden Corral. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or or Pizza Ranch. <laughs> or pizza pizza Ranch. Ranch. Yeah. Mid- uh, Midwestern reference. Yeah. So, uh, in all of this, uh, this is this is a theme. In, in, in we're going to really do a Bible study on this. This is a theme that has run concurrent in Scripture up to this point, not concomitant, but concurrent, <laughs> uh, up to this point. So it starts with Cain and Abel. Abel has his sacrifice accepted because he is faithful to the Lord. Cain abuses God's intention in the sacrifice, does so reluctantly, he's rejected, uh, and then Cain ends up murdering Abel. Uh, you have, after that, and, and I'm probably missing some high points, but uh, in that theme, you have Nadab and Abihu, who offered unauthorized fire to the Lord and were consumed uh, in the tabernacle. And, and now you get to the, the corrupt priesthood. And, and so the corrupt priesthood of Hophni and Phinehas goes forward. As I said, Samuel, mm-hmm. uh, his sons are so unfaithful that that is part of the reasoning the people want to get a king. Um, from that point forward, from the time Saul arrives on the scene, the priesthood takes a political turn, and you had some priests that supported Saul and his family. You had other priests that supported David and his family. So by the time you get to the prophets, and especially the latter prophets, uh, they're almost always preaching against the corrupt priesthood. And, and the point is, to go back to what we're talking about, uh, it's not about the prestige of the person. It's about the prestige of the office. And as soon as it becomes about the prestige of the person, mm-hmm. you are abandoning scripture. You're abandoning the, the teaching because, again, this is all fulfilled because Christ is prophet, priest, and king. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there was, some, there was selfishness. There was uh, just a, a sinfulness that the Lord was um, calling out here. Yep. Yeah. They were more concerned about their own appearance, about their own, what they got. Yep. What can, yeah. what can yeah. happen for me out of this role? And, and it's interesting. There's something there, too, I think, because Eli wasn't really like that. You know, it didn't seem like, and it seemed, and this is something I've thought about often, actually, and and I don't know why, and this is a little bit of a side note, but it is part of this passage, is is the parenting that went on here. And it was interesting how sometimes, and, and we see this also in celebrity pastor realms where a, a really, you know, a, you know, I think of, well, do I dare throw names under the bus? Maybe I can. Under Charles the bus. Stanley, Andy Stanley. Oh, 
You know? When you said throwing people under the bus, I really thought you were going to Mark Driscoll. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> Who? No. I, I won't go back there. Uh, no, but but uh, Charles Stanley, Andy Stanley, you know, it's interesting how where Charles stood, you know, in his own life, and he had some things too, don't get me wrong, or, you know, I, is he still living? I don't even know. But, you know, I, he had... I don't know, but I would listen to every single word he has to say because that his anger. southern his southern accent was perfect anger <laughs> yeah his son andy has has gone and, and he's taken scripture and not really been taking it very seriously and he, he he's called into question the need in in cases if i'm not mistaken i might be wrong on this but need for the old testament the, yep, the function the role of the old testament there's another big one, and I'm going to let you say because I don't know <laughs> okay. it. So the first one is we have to unhitch our wagon from the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. That's the exact quote that he had. Uh, Todd Wilkins' prediction on that is he was preparing his congregation to defend the LGBTQ movement. Uh, I don't know that that's come to fruition, oh. uh, but he, he, the, he it's a very Gnostic, New Testament, good Old Testament, bad sort of thing. The second thing that Andy Stanley, and, and I should pause, I think this was Andy, Stan, Andy Stanley, uh, he blamed uh, small congregations for mm. making it harder for big congregations to grow. <laughs> it seems seems Which, reasonable. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so before we get too far into that, my point is, is that, there are aspects in which, as we pass the faith down, I think there needs to be a continual reminder that this is a heritage from God, that what we have is a gift and a, a sacred calling from God that we have been given. And as we pass that along to remind people of that, and, and it's easy, it, it would be easy without the catechesis, to use Jason's word, um, to you with, without catechesis in, in the home for them to understand, okay, so this is just what we get. This human nope. nature is pretty good at, at finding ways to gratify itself. So it, it's easy. You can see this, but at the end of the day, Eli didn't seem to have been a good father in how he catechized mm-hmm. his children. Well, he also didn't seem to have a problem with it. And I think that was the big issue. Mm. And I think that's partly why he's the one getting this message of judgment and condemnation is that he's done a specifically poor job with his own sons. Now, what's interesting in all of this is that uh, when Samuel is instated as the is the high priest, when Eli dies, uh, Eli's response to God's punishment is, well, at least we still have the ark. Hmm. And, and again, it goes back to, it, there's this sense, and I don't know we can go all the way. There's this sense that the things of the Lord had become superstition. Yeah. Had become talismans, talismans mm-hmm. your word. And, and he is punished for that because he's lost the narrative of redemption. That for, for Eli, I think you can make a reasonable argument, although I wouldn't go all the way, that Eli's relationship with God is the same as any of the other heathen or pagan uh, priest's relationship with whoever their local or tribal deity is, is that this is the God among others who protects me. So in Greek, it would have been like having Ares as your God or Aphrodite as your God or Artemis as your God or, you know, so on and so forth. Or in Egypt, you had all those or whatever the case may be, Baal and Dagon and, and Molech in uh, Asherah 
in in the Old Testament, you know, uh, the Canaanites, right? Uh, I don't know that I would directly accuse him with that, but but there's there's a misunderstanding of who God is and what God does and how He does it, and that has translated to or flown out of or, or uh, f- uh, yeah, flown out of Eli's uh, family relationships, his leadership, and and so. It's clear in Hophni and Phineas that it's a matter of prestige in position. It's unclear, but maybe possible. It's the same for Eli, that this is just, mm-hmm. you know, this is who I am. I'm, I'm the privileged one. It's interesting to me when the Lord allows the ark to be taken. That's a couple chapters along. I think in chapter four, um, he's talking about how the... Um, as the ark itself, and what you're saying, if, if it is a talisman, to use that word again, um, it, it's funny how in the Old Testament, it's like God wants it to be taken so that they can see, wait a minute, hey, it's not this thing. Even that, I think, is a gracious act of God to, to show them, you know, hey, listen, even though in this particular case, this old chubby man falls out of a window and breaks his <laughs> neck and dies when that happens, it's still a gracious <laughs> thing to remind them that it is not about... It is not about these talismans. It's not about these things. It's not about all of these right rituals and these, you know, all these things that we do and and have in order to, you know, prove our relationship with God, but that it's, it's ultimately it's obedience to what he calls. And and ultimately that's, that's faith, right. And the promise of Christ, but also obedience to his word and and the the direction that he Calls us. Yeah, we, we the, where we lose the narrative to go to, back to that language as Christians is r- forgetting that the law demands obedience, and that the gospel demands faith, but that in the gospel God, through His working, provides us with the faith to receive the gospel. That's the whole point of being God's child, Old Testament and New Testament. Mm-hmm. In in a, you know you can fall off the wagon in either direction, missing out on the law or missing out on the gospel or both. Yep. And, and that's what we're seeing here. What's interesting, and we're going to go far afield on this a little bit because I want to get to it, but it, it rounds back. Uh, the, the capturing of the ark is one of my most favorite hilarious <laughs> stories in, in all of the yeah. Bible because the, 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 the Philistines capture the ark and God immediately causes them to suffer. <laughs> And, and, and then what they say is, you know what? I bet if we make golden tumors <laughs> that this will appease the guy. What, what God wants from us is golden cancer, <laughs> you know, and, and they, they wheel it back with these gold and, and wasn't, am I, I mean, was there also like golden rats or something or was it yeah, just tumor yeah, or something yeah. like that? Seems reasonable. But what this rounds back to the entire discussion, going back to the confutation, going back yeah. to Article 22, is how stupid it looks when we approach God on our own terms. That's the whole lesson of the, fair, the, the Philistines in the Ark, and, and that's what goes, it goes to the Roman Catholics in one kind in communion, and it goes to the modern American Christian church. When, when we uh, approach God on our own terms, contrary to what he has laid out. Not only are we missing out on the gifts that he wants to give us, Mm -hmm. uh, in the case of Eli and Hophni and Phinehas, we're missing out on the blessing God has in providing for the Israelites and in delivering his word and protection from their enemies. Uh, We're missing out on the comfort and assurance of salvation delivered in Holy Communion, you know, that God intends us to give with the body and blood of Christ, whatever else. Not only are we missing out on all of that, 
but we look like idiots. <laughs> we, we, we look like fools. Like and, I did early in the episode. Yeah, I, totally. Yep, That's exactly, exactly what perfect. I was thinking. Yeah. yeah. But no, but, but you, you, you know, again, we talk, think about the argumentation yep. in the confutation. It's not good. Defending, approaching God on our own terms always looks ridiculous. And most of the time it's, it's pathetic. Mm-hmm. Some of the times it's angering as it should be. But again, you, you look at this in, in the apology uh, as Melanchthon responds to this first or first Samuel two thirty six reference that, you know, begging for bread from the priest somehow prefigures only getting the body of Christ in communion. What they say is this has nothing to do with Holy communion. There's literally nothing right, in this passage right. that would yeah. do that. And, <laughs> and you know, we're not even trying at this point, but yeah. that's the whole point that God has laid out specific ways in specific circumstances that we are to approach him the God of the universe, so that we might be blessed and not be consumed. Mm -hmm. And as Hebrews 4 lays that out in Hebrews 4, 14, 15, and 16, the way we approach God is by Christ, through Christ, in Christ. Mm -hmm. Not on our own merits, not on our own wisdom, not our own fancies of, well, we think God must want us to present him with, with tumors. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And this is a, a great example or a great reminder for us to handle the word of God carefully and to not uh, read something into the text that's not there uh, like the, the Roman Catholics did here. I want to, and I know we're closing here, but I feel like I need to do so on a gospel note because Golden <laughs> yeah. Tumors just doesn't wrap it up well for me. I mean, what, at, what? at the end of this passage, uh, what yeah. does God promise? He yeah. says, in, you know, despite your idiot sons, <laughs> despite all of that, yep. I'm going to give you a priest who's better uh, and you're going to come to him and he mm-hmm. does have gifts to give you and you will come to his gifts and rightly, or you come to him, rightly asked to be part of his priesthood and enjoy his gifts. Mm-hmm. And I think we'll see what those gifts are next week. Amen. While we were still enemies, Christ died for us. Thank you for joining us. Please look us up on the web at beinglutheran.com. Also, invite a friend to check us out on Spotify and iTunes. Please join us next week as Pastor Jason, Pastor Brett, and Pastor Adam wrap up their discussion on the Augsburg Confession on Article 22, looking at a New Testament passage and its application. God bless you and have a great week.